0: The views and opinions expressed on this platform are of me, myself, and I, not any agency I'm affiliated with. So please do not take what I say personally. All right. Before I even begin this episode, I want to reiterate my whole intro, mantra, whatever you want to call it, of the idea that everything I say is opinion-based and not to be taken as fact. However, comma, I do include research in this episode, but I strongly encourage you to look up your own evidence and form your own opinion. Maybe that's the former teacher coming out of me. I don't know. Don't take what I say as face value. Get your own research. Do your thing. So first off, allow me to provide an illustration of what I equate social media to be equal to, and I do have a point to where I'm going with this. Anytime I share something on social media, and as one of my favorite podcasters ironically says, hashtag retweet, or I post a status, upload a picture, whatever it is, I basically imagine myself walking up to a gaping, bottomless hole in the middle of the desert, with other people standing around the same ginormous hole and just vomiting into it. I see no difference. Which is why, to be frank, I laugh when I see someone, including myself, posting or sharing something to make a point. Because it's not. People get on social media to see memes and life updates that other people share, whether it's their close family and friends or someone they went to high school with like 20 some odd years ago or watch a funny dog or cat video or if it's TikTok you're just scrolling for minutes or even longer until you come up for air then you close the app and you probably can't remember what just consumed the last five to ten minimum minutes of your life and don't mind me I'm just calling myself out. So with that idea I saw a post that one of my friends had shared and it said quote as an ICU nurse if your license says that you're an organ donor Remove it immediately. So like, I just clicked on the original post and I just wanted to see how many likes it had, whatever, and see what people were saying. And I felt my jaw clench. Hundreds, hundreds of people saw this post and agreed with this horribly misinformed notion. And granted, some people saw it and they disagreed and shared, you know, shared it to try to inform people of why this was an entirely wrong mentality. Not only is this idea ridiculous and it's largely false, but it goes against everything a healthcare professional adheres to. I even tried to message the guy that originally made the post because I was feeling really sassy. And like I asked him outright, I was like, are you even in an ICU nurse? Like, are you even in healthcare? And he never responded. Whether your perspective is in EMS, first responder, or the ER, or in the ICU, or even just to your primary care physician, our goal is for our patient, no matter your demographic, social class, whatever, our oath is to do no harm. Our intent in healthcare is to do everything we can to keep someone alive and to keep them in the best shape that we can, basically. We have a responsibility to protect and serve the human population at all measures we can provide in the healthcare industry, which sounds so stupidly cheesy, but it's factual. Like before I even got in EMS, just as a, like, I think I was in high school and I just got my driver's license and I had some family members that saw that I was going to be an organ donor at the age of 16, okay. But I had people sincerely try to convince me that a paramedic or a doctor will look at your license or your chart, and if you're an organ donor, they'll do less to keep you alive. And that is the biggest load of bull I've ever heard of. I mean, taking it out of like the healthcare aspect, ethically and morally, this goes against a sane person's psyche. Like, I mean, honestly, the rush of doing what you're trained for in resuscitation is so much greater than watching someone die. Let's start with that. I'll go as far as to even say I'll work a cardiac arrest with a a very small, slimmer of hope that we can actually get this person back with ROSC, knowing that with how long they've been down, their heart rhythm, their age, many other factors, they're probably not going to come back. But I still do the thing because it's my job. And more than that, it's my responsibility and my duty to at least try. Not to mention the paperwork and legality involved when a patient doesn't pull through. I'm just halfway kidding. No, but really, uh, more than anything, aside from the human compassion, the actual human compassion involved, people who deal with the process of organ donation, it, they'll say that it's, it's very strenuous. It's also advanced way beyond what we, what you probably think it is. Whenever you hear organ donation and you just think of like what's inside your abdomen and whatnot, it's no longer just a kidney or a liver or a heart. It's a pancreas lungs, intestines, its eyes, skin, nerves, extremities. I mean it's it's truly amazing. And yes, organ donation saves lives. In fact, <laughs> just one organ donor can save up to eight lives and enhance up to seventy five lives or more. And it sounds pretty impressive, and it is, but do know that every ten ish minutes another person is added to the transplant waiting list. You also have to take in consideration that an organ doesn't really last that long when you look at how long it takes, like the length of time it's going to take to get to that person that needs that organ. For instance, from what I found, the heart lasts for four to six hours after it's taken out of the human body. The lungs last for four to six hours. The liver lasts for eight to 12 hours. The kidneys last for 24 to 36 hours. And it's it's not just you take it out and it immediately goes into that person. Like sometimes they're flown across states and it's just it's not a lot of time. And so this person can be on the waiting list for years and years and finally they get their organ. But because it's states and states away, it goes to a more viable candidate and that may be their one shot. So like this mentality behind doctors and EMTs being made to look like vultures isn't helped by medical melodramatic TV shows that try to act like the ER will have a patient who was in a car wreck and is totally mangled, and you see them about to call time of death or they're discussing a surgery option to save this person, but, oh, well, it's too risky. And then you have hero doctor who says he's going to do it, whatever. And they start to go to pull the plug or start CPR, but all of a sudden a nurse or some random person in scrubs that hasn't even been on the show. They come they come around the corner and they yell something like, wait, they're an organ donor. So then they jump into action to save this person or they get them on a ventilator so they can use their organs for someone else. And at no point have they talked to the patient's family or any healthcare proxy. Get real. Like of all the people on this planet, I am pretty certain that healthcare staff workers and healthcare facilities like hospitals, ERs, whatever they may be, they fully understand the notion that malpractice isn't the cutest suit to wear. Get it? Because court, you have to go to court. (laughs) So what gives? What, What constitutes when someone is even able to donate organs? Let's dive into some research. According to the Pennsylvania and West Virginia death law, a widely accepted definition for the ethical and legal use of declaring someone viable to be able to donate their organs is, quote, an individual who has sustained either one, irreversible cessation of circulatory and respiratory functions or two, irreversible cessation of all functions of the entire brain, including the brainstem, is dead. A determination of death must be made in accordance with accepted medical standards, end quote. There's a monstrous amount of anatomy and physiology that deals with the brain and all things neurologically intact, and I love to hear about all of it, but it's a whole lot. Long story short, when the brain sustains enough damage from, say, a car wreck or a stroke or a cardiac arrest, whether from hypoxia or trauma, this delicate, complex organ will shut off. This is where you get the image of someone who's on a vent, but the doctor's explaining we're breathing for them, but they won't wake up again, including whether this person's heart is beating or not, or if the person is on medication that's, you know, making the heart beat, whatever it is. But the idea stands that the person's brain is not functioning in a way that is compatible with life. But yet, not every person who drops dead on the street, so like the cardiac arrest we work, trauma patients, or... Hobo Joe that his body finally just gave out, they're not all viable for organ donation. The declaration of brain death is not a subjective decision by a physician. The patient undergoes numerous tests to confirm an irreversible loss of brain function and support the pronouncement of brain death. Usually, the brain-dead person... Kind of like I already said, they've suffered from a brain injury resulting from trauma, oxygen deprivation, or a stroke. The person's heart is kept beating by mechanical ventilation, which keeps blood and oxygen flowing to their organs, which makes them not die in the hospital setting versus in our out-of-hospital setting when we don't have that kind of equipment just laying on the street, in the ambulance, whatever. If you think about the pathophysiology of what happens when someone dies and the amount of toxins and organ breakdown involved with hypoxia, organ failure, it makes sense why so select, quote, brain dead people are even eligible for being able to donate their organs. In fact, a person is not evaluated for organ donation until all life-saving measures have been attempted. For the hospital and first responders, their sole purpose is to save the life of that patient. As paramedics and EMTs, and even to the level of the doctors in the hospital, we will do everything we can in our powers to try to save the life of this individual. And the hospital staff working to save the patient's life is completely separate from the transplant team. And because they're completely separated, it's not like the transplant team is contacting the doctors and the ER staff or in the ICU and saying like, hey, Uh, this person's organs or whatever it is, it matches perfectly with so-and-so in room seven. Like, I I don't know if there's anything we get. No, they're completely separate. So a person must be pronounced dead, brain dead, physically dead. You know, just the only thing keeping them alive is the interventions that the hospital's done. All that has to go through for the person to even begin to proceed in the organ and tissue donation process. Even so... The deceased donor registration form states that the organ donor must be dead before vital organs are even removed. The UDDA, which I don't remember what it is, but it's important, in combination with the DDR assures patients, families, physicians, and other health professionals that a patient who is brain dead is, in fact, dead, making removal of organs for life-saving transplantation legally and ethically acceptable. But I did find another option, donation after cardiac death, which is DCD, It may be an option for some patients. Any patients who have severe brain injuries but are not brain dead may still be organ donors if the patient, by advance directive or the patient's family, decides that the life support should be withdrawn. And after that decision is made, consent for organ donation is obtained. So the patient is brought to the operating room, life support is withdrawn, and when the heart stops after a few minutes to an hour without ventilation or other support, the physician observes the patient for a few minutes to ensure that the heart does not start beating again spontaneously. If there continues to be no circulation for two to five minutes, the physician pronounces the patient dead. And then at this point, the transplant team enters the operating room and removes organs from the now dead patient. So not only is it extensive to even be able to donate your organs if you even make the cut, but to receive them is just as difficult and strenuous. Information on the organs available for donation, the donor's blood type, and body size is provided to UNOS, which is the United Network for Organ Sharing, by the CORE coordinator. Again, another thing, I forgot what it was in all this research, but it's also important. The UNOS computer then matches the donated organs to potential recipients. Recipient selection is based on blood type, body size, medical urgency, distance from the donor, and length of time on the waiting list and a whole bunch of other stuff that I did not put in here. If they're selected when an organ arrives, they do such extensive matching down to even genetic tissues so that the closest match possible is selected to receive this precious resource. So yeah, the person that is waiting for this organ, they can go all the way states away if they need to, or drive for hours just in the hopes of getting this organ, do all of this extensive testing, and not even get the organ. And not so fun fact, if the overwhelming idea of the amount of testing with the time crunch isn't enough to emphasize the contingencies of organ donation and receiving the organ, over 20 people on this waiting list die daily due to the lack of resources of organ donation. So you got the time crunch of this person that's put on the list that's sick, that needs a new organ. You got the time crunch of when an organ is available and how long it can withstand being outside of the body. And then you got the time crunch of, How fast can that person get to that organ? And are they even like the sickest one? Are they even the one that's going to match down to that microscopic level? So you may be asking yourself, Alexis, what are you trying to get out with all of this? And I'm glad you asked. For the low price of 20 cents per day, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I also don't need a heart, if that's what you're wondering. I don't need a new kidney, nothing like that. What I'm trying to say is that nobody in the health industry is trying to steal organs or purposefully letting someone die in hopes that they can procure the organs to save some other child or adult's life. There's no side conversation that happens if you're unconscious and dying where the medics and or ER nurses and docs who are trying to save your life and are doing all these life-saving interventions, they see your license, they see that little red heart on it, so they lift your license in the air while in the cusp of trying to save your life and exclaim, wait! They're an organ donor. By God, stop everything. We can save others. Let them go. The patient in room six needs this kidney. But when you hear someone talk about how signing up for organ donation is like signing a death certificate, as I was told, think of that mother who's going to die before her kids are old enough to remember her because she needs an organ. Think of the people who anxiously wait days, then months, and then years for the phone to ring for that organ they need. But only to find out that someone else is going to get it because of the aspects that they can't control, such as the microscopic anatomic levels of their DNA or blood genomes or any other AMP term that sounds really smart. And no, I'm not getting any compensations from UNOS or Donate for Life, anything like that. I'm just saying. Even if it's just your corneas, give someone that gift of sight. You can't take your heart with you after death, so why not donate it? Why let your lungs rot in a casket? You could be the difference between someone being able to see a sunset again, whereas your eyes are going to be of no use when you're buried in a casket six feet under. I just believe that if we're put in this precarious situation, and it's a very unfortunate situation for the people whose organs are being donated, but if we can try to save someone else's life when our time is up, or do nothing more than improve their quality of life, We have a duty to help others, not even as first responders or healthcare facility workers, whatever, but as people. And whether that person needs either the organs or the tissues, whatever extent of object that they need, um, and maybe it's by their own hand, they didn't take care of themselves or life just handed them this curveball. If somebody can get that second chance or to be able, like I said, to be able to see for the first time ever or... Whatever it is, we are humans and we can help each other out in this amazing scientific advancement. So, that's all I have. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, hit me up. Um, I'm going to put in the links of the research that I found. And if you want to challenge this, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Guns blazing. Let's go. Um... You're about to hear the closing note, and I'm going to add in the bloopers from this one because this episode took the least amount of takes than I think I've had in any episode except for a couple of minor hiccups because words, I, I can't talk sometimes. I don't know. So with that. So guys, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, future topic ideas, please email me at 22 at the lips podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's two, two, at the lips podcast at gmail.com thanks never stop learning and be safe out there friends information on the organs available for donation the door what I just believe that if we can save I just believe that if we can try to save someone's th- why can't I say things right why do words Words are hard.